0: Hi, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Legit Tales podcast. Today I'm joined by an incredible human being, uh, Melinda Beko, a CEO. She runs an organization called Tarani. I was involved with some work, uh, working with a senior team there a while ago, based in San Francisco. And the story is of a journey from a family run business looking at flavors for lattes, but it's a story more about the fabric of an organization, how to craft a Corp, a benefit organization where the social fabric, people involved in it benefit. The way Melanie describes how it's crafted, the different conversations, the energy, and the development of the individuals that you'll hear about today, is just fascinating. And it shows the social impact that we can have on organizations if we have this cautious capitalism, this longer term social view on how we we organize and structure ourselves. But it's also an economic success. But how that economic success gives back to society is what you'll hear about in this this session today. So enjoy, Melanie. Amazing conversation. I'm sure she'll be back on and hopefully bringing a couple of our team in to talk about their stories as well. Enjoy. So tell me since we last spoke what's what's been happening? What's anything changed in the life?
1: Well, so many things keep going and growing and changing. Mm. It's been a pretty crazy last 3 years mm. all around the world so we all share that kind of context together. Yeah. For us in particular at Tirani, we had planned a gigantic move. Mm. And when you move a flavor factory and a couple or a few hundred people in the San Francisco Bay Area, it's a big deal mm. because it affects people's lives. So yeah. what we had done when we investigated the move is we drew a zip code map of where all of our folks were. And we said, here's the radius that we'll consider for our move. Mm. It doesn't matter if there are incentives in these other states. The value in our company in Tehrani is certainly the brand, mm. but it's the people. The people are at the heart of what we do. So we selected our location. We let our team know two and a half years in advance Mm. that we were going to move. And we interviewed everybody one-on-one in the company twice to understand what would excite them about a new place and what would worry them about this move so that we could design the facility and the experience here and mitigate the concerns as much as possible. So all of that was set. Ready to go. We were going for 100% retention and we were ready to move in March of 2020, Mm -hmm. the middle of March. And that's when we had the stay-at-home order. Yep. So 2020, all of us went through the pandemic together. We also went through the move. Mm. And there's a whole story in that. Last year was all the supply chain loop-de-loops. It was pretty crazy. This year, it's the way inflation affects us. Yet. Through all of it, it's about how we frame our purpose as Mm. being a flavor for all opportunity company, how we frame the growth and development, not just of the company, but of the people within the company so that everyone and the circle of success with our customers and our stakeholders can continue to to thrive. So it's always framing up, Mm. no matter how crazy or rough the environment, how we will navigate and make it together. Mm.
0: I love that term framing up as well, because it's, you know, it goes back to the work we did together and thinking about how you, you get to that bigger picture and the, the purpose stem. But let's, let's take a step back and go into you just in terms of the, the history of you. And for the listeners, maybe a, a flavor of your, your journey and your story would be amazing, Mildi. Thank you.
1: Sure. I didn't think I would end up in business, and here I've been at Tarani for 31 years, which seems kind of crazy. I consider myself entrepreneurial, Mm -hmm. and uh, it seems kind of wild to be in a company for 31 years. But when we grow and double in size every few years, it keeps it super exciting. But my journey began more... It, it always begins young for all of us, right? Yeah. My parents were divorced when I was very young. I was five. My brother was three. Mm-hmm. And what I saw was my mother's struggle, mm-hmm. struggle to make it. It was in an era where women couldn't even get their own credit cards.
0: Right.
1: And witnessing her struggles, witnessing her holding down several jobs to put herself through college. And then later in life, during my teen years, she put herself through grad school while she was working and then seeing her seize opportunities through her whole life, I realized how challenging it is for people—people people who are capable all around us, mm-hmm. in our families, and all around us—but who don't often have those stepping stones of opportunity mm-hmm. to have to pull themselves up. So that was a personal experience. The other thing I saw—we lived in a community called Daly City, and it was a very wonderful working-class community. Um, had a great primary education there and then we moved to Marin County which was a completely different experience so much more wealth there so much more kind of assumption of opportunity yeah and what struck me at that point i was i was living with with my dad my brother we had a stepmother our stepmother was an elementary school teacher in San Francisco mm. she would bring her kids on field trips to see the ocean because many of them had never seen it before. And And it's crazy. San Francisco is just seven miles wide. If you live in a neighborhood where you're not easy distance from the ocean, you might never have seen it. And it just struck me again and again throughout my life that there are so many people who don't have those stepping stones of opportunity. So it's how we would create it. So I went to school at UC Berkeley and I had thought, I'm going to find this opportunity to make a difference through government, through nonprofit, in some way like that. I've worked in government. I worked for Barbara Boxer in her first year in Congress.
0: Interesting.
1: I worked in nonprofit environments, mm-hmm. in one that ended up going bankrupt. I tried all these different kinds of things. I don't know if you're familiar with the book, Are You My Mother? Have you ever read that?
0: Children's no, I haven't. No. <laughs> It I sounds like I need to, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> not necessarily, but it's this little bird that falls out of the nest and it's trying to find its mother and it asks mm. every kind of thing it encounters. I felt like that trying to find the place where I could make a difference. Love like, that. is this the place? Mm. Is this, is it in government? Is it in nonprofit? Oh, if it's not federal or national office, would it be more local? And what I stumbled into is that I really think it's in business.
0: Mm. Yeah, what gave you that point?
1: I was working with a small organization development consulting firm Mm -hmm. that was working with small, high-growth companies, and they came out of a group called Interaction Associates Mm -hmm. that had really dialed in on how to have productive meetings, how to facilitate sessions with people of divergent viewpoints, Mm -hmm. how to take the best of the ideas within a group to create something rather than drop in as a consultant Mm -hmm. and then come back with the answers right so it's the idea that the the wisdom is in the room the solutions are in the room it's how it gets facilitated to create that growth Mm -hmm. so it was about how you help a team whether it's in a nonprofit or for profit creative vision, Mm -hmm. how you help them consider their key strategies. And I thought, wow, doing business this way can make such a huge difference. Mm. And I loved it.
0: Yeah, because I, I think that's a, an, a lovely bit, because actually it was about doing good. It was about bringing people's voices in. Right. So all of that piece of Berkeley and going through and government. And so it was about hearing the voices, but in a business context, which you've taken all the way through your career. So I love the story of where that started and in terms of consulting.
1: Right. Well. And then you look at the economic engine mm. of a business, right? that's where we can have such a dramatic impact if we affect people's lives. And if we look at our businesses as more interdependent mm-hmm. with all the people in them, if we look at stakeholders versus shareholders as B corporations do and as the conscious capitalism community does, as we do at Tirani, then we can create a really different kind of workplace. And that's what my passion has been. Mm-hmm. So when I, I, I end up going to business school, and was working in uh, an economic development nonprofit during the summer in between years of business school. It was using the Grameen Bank model, mm-hmm. but in the American South. Gotcha. And I found it fascinating, interesting starting these and supporting these micro enterprises along the Mississippi Delta. Hmm. And then I started to work with different micro lending groups in the U.S. And we had a conference where we did case studies and. We were bringing a cross-section of people who were working in coal mining regions in the South, in Chicago, in urban areas, on Native American reservations. So people from all these different places. And we were crafting how to improve the model. Hmm. And then I talked with them about when I graduated, I wanted to come work with them in those communities. And one of them pulled me aside and said, you're about to get a business degree. There are a lot of like-minded people in this community. You have a chance to go to the other side, Hmm. go to that other side, build a bridge and we will meet you somewhere in the middle. I love that. (laughs) And I've been working on that ever since. I didn't think it would take 30 years, but here it is. (laughs) Go to the other
0: side, go to the dark side. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and it's been building that bridge to, to reach that convergence with the community where we can build interconnected, supporting relationships mm-hmm. and help the people within communities thrive.
0: Love it. Do you want to just spend a bit of time on the conscious capital side of it? Because I know Jacqueline Novogratz, and we've talked about this before, but that's where I first had heard about it and had started mm-hmm. to, to, to look at the word. But for a lot of the listeners, potentially they don't know what we mean by that. So, do you want to dwell on that for a second?
1: Sure. Yeah. The listeners might be familiar with B corporations.
0: They are. Yeah. Sure. So
1: Tawani is a B corporation. You know, when you look at the evolution of business and you look at the evolution of different models, I think business became disengaged from communities over the course of the 80s. I think the B Corporation movement, the conscious capitalism movement, social venture movement has all brought to mind the the power of business as a force for good. Good. And they all have different models And they all have the same objectives, which is for business to be a force for good. So we are a certified B Corporation and we are registered with the state of California as a benefit corporation. I was surprised to learn that in most of the states in the United States, I'm not sure about all the different countries around the world, but in most, when you register as a corporation, your responsibility is to maximize profit for shareholders. When you register as a benefit corporation, you maximize for stakeholders, which includes your team, your community, your investors, of course, your you know, your shareholders, also, you know, your vendors, Hmm. customers. It's it's the whole circle we call that the circle of success at Tarani. I think that is a circle because Hmm. when we're growing and thriving, we're helping our customers grow and thrive. It's it's creating that expanding circle. So the B Corporation community has a certification process for that to make sure that environmentally, socially, governance-wise, that we're living by those standards and advancing those standards. So that's a a rigorous certification process. The conscious capitalism community has been a great place to engage with other like-minded people to learn. So we're always looking, I'm always looking for places to learn meet other people who have interesting models, learn as much as possible from them. And I found that to be a great place for that.
0: Yeah, I love it. And it's interesting because a lot of people listening who, you know, some of the people I coach on a regular basis are always looking about how can I set up my own business? And we're always said, so what's the path of least resistance to get a business off the ground? However, Mm. they're probably listening and go, wow, that sounds like a lot of red tape, a lot of, but actually, there's something hardwired in in me, and it sounds in you about by the community. We talk about the wider community. Why wouldn't we benefit others in there? But t- tell us more about the how Im- ambitious a target it is, and how ambitious an accreditation it is to to go for. Yeah,
1: you know, I, it's ve- become very popular. I think they're, they've been running behind because it's been oversubscribed. Wow! So I think they're hiring a lot of people right now to certify. And yes. There is a pretty rigorous process. You could call it red tape, but you could also say, hey, that's a real certification. And if you have that badge, it means that you've met that criteria and that you will be measured on a regular cadence for your participation in that. So I see that as a special signaling to others about the way we practice business. And it's then a mutually supportive community. And I I really enjoy going to conferences, Mm. whether it's on Zoom or recently in person again, which has been wonderful. (laughs) Going to places, gathering with a collection of B Corporation CEOs or leaders and talking about our purpose, because we're all Mm. purpose driven, talking about our practices and methods. And what I found is I I do, and we at Tarani, because a lot of us are engaged in those communities, we're doing a lot of learning about how to improve our environmental footprint and environmental practices. Where we're contributing more is on social practices. So what I found in the B Corporation community, conscious capitalism community, there are a lot of people who have really amazing, wonderful models Around how to improve environmental impact. There's very little conversation about people and social impact. Mm. And that's where we're going to push hard. We want to push that conversation a whole lot more because there's a lot of interest in going beyond here's the kind of benefits you offer or the kind of coaching practices you have, which are crucial, crucial as a foundation. So, how do we create? more shared success, Hmm. financially and otherwise? How do we create really developmental environments? What does business look like in a growing company? What does opportunity look like? How do we create mechanisms for not just office workers, but really thinking hard about frontline workers, Hmm. so that they can grow and develop and thrive and make choices that not only change the trajectory of their lives, but their families. It changes generations when we offer stepping stones of opportunity to people who haven't had the same opportunity as you and I might have had.
0: I Yeah. And I I love the story in there because there's a story of Tarani as a, an organization and family, and
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and then there's the story of of this. But just knowing the organization as I have for a very short space of time, mm-hmm. this community, this growth piece uh, has been a, a big one for for you and, and the journey towards that. Right. Just talk talking a bit more about that journey because it, it always it hasn't always been easy, even though you've had growth and
1: other pieces. Oh, no. <laughs>
0: I know you well enough to know that you've been through the ringer a few times in this. Yes.
1: (laughs) Since I've been at Tarani, we've grown on average 20% a year. Hmm. So we've doubled in size eight times. Hmm. You know, we we've gone through these hurdles and I, I can see what small business growth and mid market entrepreneurial growth looks like. And when we hit certain challenges, Mm -hmm. And I think the first is around $10 million. The next really big one for us was around 50. Mm -hmm. Getting past 100 was huge. And then it was really getting past 200, 250. Mm -hmm. Now we're looking at what does it mean to be a half billion dollar company and billion dollar? And what are the the changes that we need to make? And what are the changes that I need to make? Mm -hmm. Because each time we go through those hurdles, I've realized The the first change has to start with me and how how I look at those. And what I get excited about is, um, yes, it's it's a challenge of the business. We have all the regular business challenges, that competitive marketplace challenge. On top of that, what really energizes all of us here, and you know this, Colin, from having Mm -hmm. all the conversations with our team, each one of us is deeply motivated to be here. And to continue this growth because we want to create opportunity for people. Yeah. And we want to be a kind of business that builds practices that can serve as a field guide or a playbook or blueprints hmm. to be shared with other like-minded companies and to learn from those companies so that we we create playbooks together hmm. that we can share and improve and adjust over time. So we're starting to build practices And document practices that can be shared with other companies that go through not just the growth struggles we've gone through or growth challenges, but also the way we navigate them and achieve more of our purpose. Mm,
0: I love that. And, you know, I, I'm passionate about creating playgrounds and the playbook piece yeah. is, is massive in there. So, and the reinvention of you is a, an interesting bit for me because, you know, yeah. 31 years, long while, you know, I've been, what is it now, 20 odd years in this business. So, mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. I'm thinking about of that and I've had to reinvent myself so many times. Yeah. Yeah. What is what are the key things that you think if you had to plot your your journey that you, you identify, change that, change that, change that. What are the key changes you've made in your, yeah. your leadership style?
1: First of all, I, I go back to um, business school and I, I participate in co-leading a class on managing growing enterprises. And mm. what I find when I talk with students is that they think that their education ends with an amazing business degree, right? Mm -hmm. And that's just the beginning. I think we always have to push to develop ourselves. And what I found is key is to find really crucial learning Mm forums, right? I participated in a group called Vistage for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I learned so many helpful things through that process. And I had coaching from our facilitator from that who helped me see so many blind spots and gather insights about my style. I now belong to a group called Real Leaders. That's B Corporation CEOs. We meet monthly and then a few of us will meet offline. So we learn about each other's businesses. We bring our challenges and then we have processes by which we have discussions to help each other think through things. Hmm. So when I think about the The first biggest period of growth, I would say it's when we were around a $50 million company and we had an offsite developing our vision for uh, the future when we were going to be a $100 million company. Hmm. And we had a very lengthy discussion about what kind of leadership that would take. Hmm. And we had really good facilitators who were helping us explore the leadership and the changes that might be required. So after that offsite, I was reflecting and I was thinking about the different members of the team, was thinking about myself. And I thought, well, I'm going for it. I have the energy and the drive. I'm going to I'm going to try to develop myself to be that kind of leader. Who on the team do I think could make it? Hmm. And I, I was looking at the six people and I thought, oh, my gosh, there's only one person wow. I'm sure will make it. Hmm. And then she was the first person to come to me and say, I'm not going to make it. (laughs) Um, By the way, she's still here today. You know her, that's Cindy Eckhart. Cindy was then our head of marketing. And she came to me and said, you know, I don't think I'm up for this challenge. Mm -hmm. I'm doing these other things in my life. I'm going to be raising my daughter. I'm going to these other things. And actually, I'm going to look for part-time work. Hmm. And I said, well, I hope you're going to look for it here. So (laughs) Interesting. Yeah. So she ended up taking different part-time roles. She's now our fabulous head of R&D. I'm thrilled to have worked with Cindy for 25 years now. But what I learned from that moment as I was exploring the team and we had challenges, we talked about these things, I realized it didn't begin with the team. It began with my interaction with the team, mm-hmm. my interaction in one-on-ones, the way I interacted with them created frameworks by which they would do the work, we would have a different way of working together. It had to change. And that's the thing. When we're small, scrappy, we have to do a lot of things together. As we get larger, we have to separate out different kinds of challenges. And that's what I found at each stage. To get, to get past 100 million, we had to have the value add of a director level in the business. And we had to really look at the the workflows and we had to look at the different kinds of leadership and the coaching and development that would happen at those different stages. So some of the leaders made it and some transitioned out. And that's a natural thing. What we have to always be good at is having really honest, heartfelt conversations about what it takes, how things are going, what kind of goals we're setting and to make decisions together about whether or not. This is working.
0: I, I just want to reflect on that because I think that there's no lack of energy with yourself. And that's, that's a real strength that you've got. And the, and, and the passion for the people is a, is a core part of that, the, the thing that fuels you. What, what's interesting for me is if I go back to the story of you as a, a younger person and what you saw in the struggles and the growth, it's your ability to weave everybody's different story and create opportunities for them that I think is has been one of the major strengths in you. I just wanted to see if that's how you see it, because that's what I see from the outside. Yeah.
1: Yes. Well, flavor's not just what we make, hmm. it's what we bring. When I look at the mix of people we have at Tirani, the family we've created here, and I do think of it as a functional family, hmm. We have people who come from over 35 different countries who were born and raised in over 35 different countries. This isn't a team of 300. That's not 35 people. That's 35 countries, Mm. more than 35 people. We have wildly different ages. Mm. We have different genders. We have different socioeconomic backgrounds. And we have a place where we have all the functions together. So we have manufacturing, distribution, R&D, marketing, sales, finance, IT. We have all the different functions together so that there's this visibility and the sense of community among all the functions. Mm -hmm. I love that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's creating the connection among the people of all the different backgrounds. Right. Mm -hmm. So one of the options when we were going to move was to separate out. We'll send manufacturing to a low cost area. Yeah. You know, have these functions and this. We said, no, part of our whole working model is for everyone to be together. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have other sites at some point, but we love for there to be that connection among all the functions. And then that creates what we also call career mixology. Hmm. So when you have visibility to different functions, you can find lots of development pathways for people. They might want to go deeper. And greater in the function that they're in, but they might want to sample some other areas. And since we're all together, there's that opportunity. So we have somebody who started off as a forklift driver in the warehouse, who then became a customer service representative, hmm. who has now career mixed into finance.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: We have another person who was a doc coordinator who is now in marketing. Amazing. So. The people bring so much more talent to work than the job that they're in. And the the whole idea is that we want to discover that, tease that out, and give people the opportunity to grow and develop in different ways.
0: And I'm fascinated. I'm making an assumption here, but because of the cautious capitalism and the, you know, you've got a longer term view, there's a route and there's a journey that you can take, which allows mm-hmm. people to, to almost to make mistakes, to learn as they go mm-hmm. in there, if you take that mindset. But I'm, I'm fascinated for the people listening to here to understand, because a lot of them are losing talent. They're walking out the door. And how do you, mm-hmm. how do you create pathways? And they say, well, we can't develop a, a dog worker into into somebody who's in marketing. So just maybe just yeah. pause on that in terms of the insights you've had from there.
1: There yeah. are a few things. One is just to give a, a data point mm. last year, the year of the great quit or the great resignation following COVID, the shutdowns, we had turnover rate of 6%, hmm. which is extraordinary for a manufacturer, yeah. especially in the year of the great resignation. Hmm. and. I would say that that's related to a few things. One is, it's in our DNA that when we hit hard times like we hit in COVID, we optimize for people first. So we optimize our financials for people first. So when COVID hit, here we were, we were getting ready for the move. We didn't know how we were gonna make it. We didn't know what was going to happen to the business. In the end, we ended up growing, but we didn't know when that moment struck. So we very quickly pulled together different financial scenarios. We looked at what happens if we decline by 20%. How will we make it and keep everyone employed and keep supporting our customers? Then we said, all right, we figured that one out. It's not easy. We'll be able to do it though. How will we do it if it's 50%? And we figured that one out. And then we said, all right, our best guess is 20 and that's our safe model. Let's have that as our primary scenario. Now let's turn back to our team because the only way we're going to make it is if we move and we need help. So we turned to our team and said, it's a tough time. Here's what's going on. Safety is first thing. And everyone has a job. Everyone has a home here. And it just takes away a lot of that pressure. These are folks who provide for their families across the board and can be in... in." Uh, Very challenging situations. Hmm. It's in our DNA during the Great Depression. This was a family business. I'm the first non-family member to lead the company.
0: I love that bit.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So it was a husband and wife team. And during the Great Depression, the business was founded in 1925. So in the 1930s, very challenging times. It was just three or four people working in the business, including the husband and wife, Ronaldo and Isilda. And Ronaldo died suddenly of a heart attack in his 40s. And Azilda didn't know what she would do. She had two young kids. She had this business. There weren't women out front running businesses. And she turned to her family and said, how am I going to raise the kids? How am I going to provide for them? How am I going to do this? What do I do? And they said, you are a strong person. Hmm. you can do it we'll support you we'll support you raising the children we'll support you in running the company but you you have it within you to do this and of course she did and that is in our dna and when we think about our core values one of which is care deeply for people the first thing we do in a time of crisis is we come around each other and make sure that we're solid Mm-hmm. which is why during COVID, it's the first thing that we do. And if we do that for our team, our team can do that for our customers. Yeah. So once we have our own seatbelts fastened, then we could say, all right, business is okay. We did go down by 20% in the first month, but then we started to grow. The consumer part of the business took off, thankfully. Then we said, all right, Let's release these budgets that we have for sales and travel Mm. and put it into a new fund, the Toronto Cafe Opportunity Fund, so that we can help cafes and baristas get back on their feet and reopen. So creating that circle of success and and doing creative programming during that time frame that could really bring our purpose to life. Mm. And then in 2021, expanding that, saying, all right, people are back on their feet and reopened. Let's support communities that haven't had the same degree of opportunity and let's support their growth and development, whether it's the LGBTQ community, BIPOC community, Mm. how do we support people who are providing stepping stones in their communities? Mm. So it's an expansion of those kinds of things. So our team gets really excited about that. So I would say knowing that we circle around each other in those times is one thing. Another thing that is core to us, that's a practice that we built up, is contribution management. Okay. We've tossed out performance appraisals. Hmm. I think performance appraisals are one of the biggest wastes of time that companies participate in. I don't know what your experience of it is.
0: Um, Mine is... Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, everybody waits till the end of the year to put together something which actually should be done on a regular basis in terms of measurement of of the output rather than the uh, what they're doing. So, yeah, interesting.
1: Right, that's part of it, and and really, if we look hard at performance appraisals, we see that. They are a company's justification for what increase in pay somebody will get. And it becomes pretty subjective. So we've tossed the whole thing out, we've replaced it with something that we call contribution management or contribution conversations mm-hmm. and the important difference in it is that it really is a conversation mm-hmm. the training that we do takes place on both sides it's the individual and the manager because love that. managers are used to telling mm-hmm. instead of inquiring and conversing so contribution conversations happen at every level of the company I have my contribution conversations with Lisa the chair of the board Mm-hmm. It happens throughout the company. We not only talk about what we want to contribute to the year in the, in the context of the company's goals, objectives, team's goals and objectives and so forth, but we spend at least a quarter of the conversation talking about what we're interested in learning and how mm-hmm. we might want to grow and develop. Fascinating. So it's about how we tease that out and then the, the managers look for opportunities for people to exercise that. Mm. And I think most people think, oh, if I'm doing development, it's that Excel class or that marketing class or whatever it is. And it might be that, but we use the 70-20-10 rule. Maybe 10% is that formal learning. 20% (laughs) might be coaching, mentoring. That 70% is looking for opportunities in our work to exercise those interests. So that's what we do in contribution management contribution conversation so we have that beginning of the year formal process we have a mid-year check-in and we have a year-end wrap-up and then there are one-on-ones throughout the year Mm -hmm. to follow up on that and and then it's really doubling down on that trying to advance that even more Mm. it's been completely transformative for us and our team and i think it contributes to people staying because they do have the opportunity to have conversations it's deeply respectful mm-hmm. and they begin to see their pathways for opportunity and growth. So that's one. The other thing that I think has made a difference that I'm personally really excited about is shared economic success. Mm. Yeah. So everybody in our company gets bonused based on our ability To hit our top line revenue growth Mm -hmm. and our bottom line profitability and we track it together in town hall meetings and there's always a sharing of financial information and a building up of financial understanding and literacy Hmm. which so many people. So many people in business don't have across the organization, right? I agree,
0: yeah. And
1: then what we were able to achieve last year is we bought 10% of the company to turn into an ESOP, an employee stock ownership plan. So now every single team member at Tarani participates in ownership through our ESOP. Hmm. And every year, people earn shares through the ESOP. Lovely. So I'm super excited about the shared economic success as well.
0: So, you're weaving a fabric, and I want to keep that. I'm not as good at putting the analogy on the flavor side because you did it so beautifully before.
1: Oh, I think of it as weaving a fabric for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. there's so much that you're, you're into the community. It's about growth of the individual, it's about support of the, the cafes and the, your end users and the customers. All of this is creating this, this energy that is is amazing i'm I'm fascinated by your energy though because you are you know i've known you a while now and you don't diminish so how do you keep apart from the groups that you do how do you keep your own energy going because a lot of leaders will be thinking two years pandemic you know i'm struggling with my own energy how do you keep yours going
1: yeah yeah i think relationships form the foundation of everything And whenever I look at my own personal life goals, I think about always preserving time for my relationship with my family, Mm -hmm. with my daughter, Mm -hmm. always preserving time for the energy with my best friends Mm -hmm. and making sure that that's a priority in the way I spend my time. Mm -hmm. I have such dear friends Mm -hmm. and I want to make sure I have that gathering together around the table, and then keeping focused on our purpose and the relationships and the connection that we develop at work, it's, it becomes such a passion. And it's kindled in everybody here. When we were working last year, it's a it's a completely different story, maybe for another day. Yeah. But we found ourselves last year with the need to cash out the beneficiary of a deceased family member. Hmm. And it was a really um, challenging time. Mm -hmm. And I I remember thinking, we're going to do this because what's at stake here is so important for the continuation of this experiment and creating a very different kind of workplace. Mm -hmm. And for the relationships here, for the people that have built lives and development here, whose families feel like a part of our extended family here. There's such a passion Mm -hmm. to keep that going and growing that we're gonna get it done. And one of the things that happened last year is we're going through that process. We worked with an impact investment bank called Big Path Capital. They work with B corporations to help match us with impact investors, people who are like-minded investors and our criteria were they have to wanna be in it for the long run Mm -hmm. and have a long-term hold and they have to be people first, ideally stakeholder model, and the the very words for those kinds of things. And we had criteria that we were interviewing by, but the the impact investment bankers that we work with said that what struck them more than anything as they worked with our team is the joyfulness Hmm. that we have here in working together. And it was great to have that external perspective. I'm hearing it a little bit from you now, but there is a joyfulness here. What we do is fun and it is joyful. And yes, there are the challenges of growth, but when we're doing it together, it doesn't feel burdensome. And that's something that I learned along the way too. When I was carrying, I felt like I was hoisting the business in the early days. Yeah, I have to really break open my leadership style to be more reliant upon other people, hmm. to share the burdens and the successes together. And it all became more joyful. Yeah and and it really it really is and when we can see at the end of the day that we're building models for contribution management for career mixology for learning journeys which is a way that we develop ourselves as leaders or as teams and i can talk more about that too but when we're developing these different working models that we can share with other like-minded companies and we can create trajectories hmm. that affect our team members and their families it feels Wonderful, yeah. and enlivening, and joyful.
0: You know, Melanie, we could do two episodes. And I've also just, you, you prompted a thought, and I've never thought this before, but I'd love to get one of the team on to tell their story of the leadership tale, you know, to, mm-hmm. to share that because we're hearing from you and, and you're telling a story, but to hear from them would be brilliant. But there's the other bit about that, you know, digging into some of the models and some of the frameworks and other things you've used in there would be massively beneficial to other other people in there. I suppose my final question for this session, because I'd love to have you back on if you're you're open to this. Sure. Is just to, to think about if you had to look back and look at the journey of you as a young woman going through this as a leader, because as a father of daughters, I've got two daughters who I want increased opportunities for in this world, that's one of my passionate areas. What was your learning about that and the role of a woman in charge of a business taking over from another woman who's been in charge of a business who didn't have the opportunities, but took it on. And,
1: and right. And it. I took over from her son-in-law.
0: Okay. Interesting. Right? Yeah.
1: His son-in-law was the most wonderful man.
0: Hmm. What's your learning of that?
1: We've just had a mentor team at Turani that has just mentored a young woman from Rwanda for the past five years hmm. who we helped, uh, applied to and won a full ride scholarship at Wellesley College, and just I just went to her graduation, and have had so many conversations with her. And then she's back in Rwanda now, and she just started her first job. And talking with her and scholars in this program from Cambodia, Liberia, and some other countries, and it's just like when you talk with people here. We have college interns from within our our team members' families who are about to start next week. We have a a, a team member children's internship program at Toronto, which is so cool. And so the consistent theme that we see there is that people don't know where to begin Mm. and they want to make a difference. And it's just that it's one of those things where you just begin. Mm. You find a place where you believe it's not just the work that you're doing, but the people you're working with care about your development Mm. and to take the time to make sure that you have the context for your work and an understanding and a broadening of your perspective. I think that's really important. And one thing that I noticed from Noella before she went back to Rhonda, she's really worried about things. And it was one of those things where we could say, listen, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you will look back and your path will reveal itself to you. Mm. You don't have to know right now. Yeah. It will reveal itself to you because you will make choices along the way. And you have to trust your instincts in that. And you just begin. Mm. It's just as simple as beginning. And then making connections along the way. Always always meeting people, making connections, having conversations, getting to know people. Because you're building your network of um, not just opportunities for work, but your relationships along the way. Mm. We, We can all support each other. And I think that we just need to all be much more caring, loving and supportive of each other's growth and development and exploration. And that starts with young people, but it extends to everyone in our companies.
0: Yeah, couldn't agree more. And it makes a nice link back to Are You My Mother? I think that was the title of the book you mentioned before. <laughs> yes. because. <laughs> there's curiosity there. There's leading with curiosity. You, my mother, you're starting connections, you're starting conversations, and you're experimenting yeah. and exploring and getting out there. So there's a strong message from your own past, but into Noella now in terms of what she's doing. So
1: Yeah, and then we keep learning. Mm. It's the same thing. So I'm always on a journey to figure out what kind of leadership is it going to take to be ready to lead a company twice the size and hopefully many times that in impact. Mm -hmm. And what needs to change and what will remain the same no matter what, when we get there. And what do we carry forward with some confidence into that future? That's another thing that I think helps here. We always, we, we share our vision of success with the team. We create it with the team, we share it with the team. And we think about our history rather than in terms of business models, in terms of eras of growth. Mm -hmm. And that when we look at that era, we can also identify the size that we are, the leadership that it takes, the opportunities that there are for people, the mix and vibrancy of the people that are here, that are in our customer and stakeholder community. And uh, it feels pretty exciting to keep that moving.
0: Uh, I love it. I love your story, and uh, and we haven't even talked about what the business does, but I think people will get a flavor of it. But <laughs> Maybe just leave, first a promotional piece, because there's a product in there. There's not only this fabric, but there's a product. So maybe just tell people what you do, because it's one of these podcast things. Everybody talks, and then you forget. So what does she actually do? What's the business?
1: <laughs> yeah, so I work with Tarani. We're best known for Amazing Flavor. We invented the flavored latte. So a lot of times you'll see Tarani lined up in cafes or drink shops. Mm. And um, we, we play with flavor. And like I said before, flavor is not just what we make. It's what all of us bring. So it's the, the personality and individuality that each of us brings to situations and how that weaves a fabric of community.
0: I love it. So now all the listeners can go out and start to spot the Tarani bottles. In the different places they go to. Amazing. Yeah. Melanie, it's, as always, it is such a pleasure um, talking to you. You always leave me more energized than I start, and that's uh, a key strength of yours. Uh, if people want to find out more about you, about Tarani and uh, the history, where could they go to to find out more? About
1: you can you? readily find us at Tarani.com, or you can find me on LinkedIn under my name, Melanie Dolbeco. And I'm so happy to talk with you today, Colin. And I enjoy the, the learning that we have together. I really appreciate it.
0: And so did I. So, well, Melanie, look forward to, to hearing the feedback from the listeners. But if it's anything like I've experienced, then they're going to love this conversation. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Colin. Cheers.
0: Cheers. Cheers. What a powerful conversation. An amazing person who has uh, taken on a role of changing communities and organization, the way to run business, Uh, a lifelong learner. You can hear that in what she does and how she does things. Also transforming her leadership style as she goes through that. The stories that she tells about her community and the people in there are just incredible. But I also just love the way that she can link in the flavors and the, the analogies into this and the mixology, the career mixology. So there's so many things about the, the considered nature of how she runs the business and how our team run the business. And I've met nearly all of the team in there and they're just incredible people who work in a way which has shifted to a, a successful business, but also a business that's making social and people impact in a very good way. So Melanie, I'm sure you'll enjoy the conversation with her. And if you want to hear more, join me in another episode of the Leadership to Help Us podcast soon.